0: So she came back and we walk, I don't know, 10, 10 to 20 feet. And another snipe flushes. She comes back, grabs the snipe and comes down. So perfect, let's feed the falcon. So I end up feeding the falcon and let's go to the car. So on the way back on the car, there's this tree on the way out. And I say, well, I'm just gonna be curious. I'm gonna walk to the tree and see what what really happened. Now, as soon as I get to the tree, I see the snipe dead next to the tree.
1: Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Toll podcast and what is now the third episode of our follow-up series featuring falconers from Mexico. And of course, I have to give a quick shout out to the North American Falconers Association and the Falconry Fund, whose small grants program helped make projects like this possible. If you're interested in joining, donating, or supporting either one of these organizations or to find out more information. Please head to n-a-f-a.com for the North American Falconers Association and falconryfund.org for the falconry fund. And in this episode, I get a chance to sit down with Danielle and discuss some of the really nice snipe hawking that I got a chance to see for the first time while I was down there. I have to say that of all the forms of hawking that I've seen in person so far, especially with long wings, this is the most fun and challenging form of it that I've yet to see, and I really hope that I get to do it myself someday. I was uh, really entertained and had a lot of fun watching this happen. It was was a great time. And Danielle is uh, very experienced and has a long history in falconry. So I hope you all get something out of this episode as with all the others and you enjoy it. Here we go. Well, I mean, it was a
2: good hunt today. Like you said, as I mentioned, this is the only like the second, maybe third time that I've gotten to actually see peregrines hunt. And the, each time I, you know, that's happened, it's, it's been in Mexico. So ironically enough, like I said, it's, I didn't figure I'd have to leave the country for the first time to, (laughs) to see those things, but I'm, I'm glad that I've, I've gotten the chance to see your birds fly, and uh, congratulations on the last two days. Thank you, and welcome to Mexico, John. Yeah, thank you. And just for the record, we can go ahead and get out of the way that you told me before that I was officially your good luck charm. You are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, and this is the first time that I've actually gotten to see snipe hunted. And, you know, like I said, when I was telling you before, you know, I've, I've always heard about it, but... Seeing it in person, I think by far and away so far at least, is probably the coolest thing that I've gotten a chance to see is Peregrine on Snipe. So, they're tough. Yeah. They're
0: not he's not an easy prey. Yeah. Snipes are tough. Today you, you today you got to see the comparison between one of the Falcons and the other one. Mm-hmm. One make it look easy because he actually stroke one on mm-hmm. the way down. Mm-hmm. And kill it. The other one chased like I don't know five or six, and he couldn't. He couldn't make it. Yeah. So it's, snipe is it's a really really difficult prey. You need the falcon to be right on top of you for the flush, mm-hmm. or a little bit more higher. But it all depends on the terrain. If you have a lot of cover, it's complicated because they'll make it to cover. Mm-hmm. And you want mm-hmm. the snipe to flush and go try to
2: evade the falcon going up, yeah. which, which provides an excellent flight. Like I said, I've, I've not ever seen it before and getting a chance to see how you all do things compared to some of the different ways that I, unfortunately, I mean, I know there, I know a, a couple of guys that hunt snipe in the U S but they're all the way across the country from me pretty much. So like I guess it's not something I've, I don't know how, or if they even do things differently, you know, in their approach and how you guys would do it. I think I think it, it has a lot to do with the
0: terrain depending on on where you're flying the falcons mm-hmm. here in in this part of Mexico where we fly them it's a wetland that mm-hmm. you, you can see it's full of docks and but there's a lot of channels of water and and uh, a lot of irrigation so it's it's not as easy as as other places where there's a grassland has a little bit of, of water like the, the place we we flew the other day these places are tougher for you for walking. You 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 had a a good experience wearing, w- wearing waders, <laughs> but uh, but it makes it difficult for 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 everybody to get to the to the point where you find the snipe and flushing it. Uh, and turns out it, it's it's a lot of
2: power for Nalia to bring the falcon to a good spot. But it's always fun when you catch one. It seems like I said uh, to be one of the most fun things you can do to you know, and whenever you're hunting with a peregrine or any other long wing, it seems like one of the most fun methods, but I I can also see where, where it could be extremely frustrating too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. For me, for me, it's been always my favorite prey. Well, for starters is because the place that I live here, it was the, 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 one of the preys, the main preys that I found besides dogs. But dogs here are, are tricky because you need to find them in good spots, otherwise they're as you can see, today was very complicated, flushing them out of a river. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you find snipe in good numbers, and, and you have a Chirisil falcon, or uh, I don't know, a smaller smaller species like barbaries, red napes, they fly them amazing. I, I used to fly a barbary for 18 years, and, uh, and she did well with snipes. She was like totally expert. But uh, this guy is catching up. He's young but it's the first season. He's he's doing it good. He'll become a good one. It looks like it. Looks like you're on the, the right track with him. Yeah. yeah, he will. I think I think he's he'll manage. Because he's been hunting a lot of uh shorebirds, you know, like mm-hmm. the kill deer and, and other other species that are migratory birds. Which are pretty fast and, and tough to catch. But uh they they gave a... the the falcon a lot of sport they need to really really make an effort to to get them and uh and of course the falcon
2: are chasing around in the mud it's it's not easy (laughs) no no and and um yeah whenever you're having to cross these ditches that are you know waist deep full of water and and you're also hunting with dogs too which is a a whole other dynamic and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do and and uh, everything on top of that, I mean, I, I could definitely see where this form of hunting along with like quail hunting and, and um, yeah, it, it's pretty necessary, you know, to have dogs involved and stuff. Yeah, as well. dogs,
0: but, dogs actually work fine until they don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that you, you got to make them really, really obedient. Otherwise, they can, they can really screw a flight or, or they can make a flight good. When they're, when they're obedient, they usually help a lot. And sometimes they, you, have you seen my British Spaniels? They sometimes point really good and they hold for the falcon and, and everything works out fine. Other times they just keep running and they'll, they'll keep flushing everything out and screw at everything. And sometimes you catch something while they're flushing, but of course it's easier if you go step by step. Like we did it with the, with Jerry this morning, like walking a little bit hold on for the falcon to turn around and step by step that's i I mean that's key for for catching snipes Mm
2: -hmm. and how did you initially learn how to how to hunt snipe well uh, i i didn't learn because i I learned
0: by trial and error (laughs) because nobody was hunting snipes back Mm -hmm. then i think uh i read some books that i read and nafa and uh, a guy from New Mexico, I don't remember his name right now, he was flying a Barbary, a Tearsell Barbary. He caught some some snipes, not consistently because of the place where he was hunting. And he gave me some of the advice and everything. And um back in the days, like I don't know, I was like twenty twenty or something. Now I'm fifty one. <laughs> just so they know. And <laughs> I was flying a female Prairie Falcon and this place where I was flying here to pigeons you had a few snipes so I started chasing the snipes with the Prairie Falcon but there was no way I mean that Prairie Falcon will go up way way high I mean I don't know 500 meters up there Mm -hmm. and I will flush the snipes the snipes will go up in the sky Uh, here comes a female still all the way down You said you will think that's a dead snipe and she they will always always the baker, I couldn't catch a single snipe during I don't know one season and I tried and tried and tried but she was too big and I think she was not fast as fast enough so then we were able Alex Franco that you already met and I we imported some barbaries from Les Boyd from the states and we got five birds I kept one Alex wanted to breed a couple and then he had a, a pair that he was flying and I kept a female, which was named Miss Piggy. Yeah, <laughs> she, uh, she, she, uh, we call her like that because she, she was the youngest of the five barbaries, but she will eat like a pig, like she <laughs> will fight with everybody and we'll get the bigger peas. And mm. so we, we started calling her Piggy and she became quite good at catching snipe the first snipe that I flushed for that bird. Uh, she went down exactly at the same spot where I was flying the prairie the prairie, the other seasons. And she couldn't catch any. And the first snipe that I flushed for her, she came down and grabbed it in the middle of the air. Landed next to me, looking at me like, chop, chop. It <laughs> was like, damn, this bird is going <laughs> to be awesome. <laughs> and then from then on, I move on. And I don't know that the first season I caught like, I don't know, 12 or 15 snipes. I don't remember. It was years ago. Uh she became pretty good with years with uh, each season. But she, she be really, really, really became specialist in snipes. Because I will flush Kildare for her. And she will miss them because she will try to catch them from underneath. And they will always evade her. I mean, she will catch one or two each season, but she was never so good at it. This guy, the the Benancio, the tears Peregrine, is catching seventeen so far, so Kildir. And probably like 15 snipes so far. Besides other ducks and stuff like that I have been flushed. And uh, I think he has a pretty good future with that. That barberry became pretty famous because I, I was able to wrote a few articles about her at NAFA, the journal, and uh, and another one from the British Falconers Club. And with that bird we hunted for 18 seasons. And she passed away. She was really, really good. She caught around, I don't know, 50 to 60 each season. And, of course, a few ducks. When they were, every time I went up there to Calientes with Martin, mm-hmm. we will fly her at ducks and it will be fun.
2: Yeah. Cheers, by the way. Cheers. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, so if I remember right, I remember someone, maybe it was you or maybe it was um, Jerry that was telling me that I know you kind of touched on it just briefly a minute ago, but you're one of the first guys that actually flew Barbaries in Mexico, correct? Or actually had them?
0: Back then, like 30 years ago, it was impossible to import birds. So we tried. And, I mean, that's like a a whole story about it. So complicated. They got stuck at customs for days, and it was a mess. But at the end, we were able through a lot of work and, 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 and connections, we were able to get them out of customs and, and start flying them. Alex lost all the birds on the first season, the breeding ones he kept them, but they never breed here. I don't know why. So I kept flying mine and I flew that bird for for 18 seasons. And in the, in the meantime, I flew other birds, uh, another red nape that we import from the States from, I think this bird was from. From Drisco, the guy that makes well I think he passed away now. The guy that makes the the blocks for the Falcons, these super fancy blocks. He got a bunch of Falcons breeding. And we got some red napes from him. I got a female, which was a blonde female, was a beautiful Falcon. I mean gorgeous. At the beginning she was like super tame and and I didn't so much so much future about it. Like she was eh took me a while to get her going but uh, she started flying good and then then she started catching snipes unfortunately I flew her for two seasons and in the middle of the second season I lost her Uh, she went chasing some I don't know what was it a a bird long long flight and uh, she didn't came back so I started chasing her and I found the transmitter back in the days Uh, she had the transmitter in her, at her I think at the backpack I don't know if it was the backpack or leg like, but I found the transmitter on the ground and I never saw her again with we threw pigeons for days and everything and she disappeared but that bird managed to catch also snipes then I had another it was a passage an atom a female a small one which she flew around 640 grams um, that bird That bird was pretty good. She was her name was Juana because Juan Berumen, a friend from me in Aguascalientes, he he trapped for me and gave it to me. And that bird was really a killer bird. She will catch anything that you flush for her. Besides, she was a female, but she she will fly pretty good. And I managed to catch some snipes with that bird also. Really, really interesting flights. But I think the churros are more up to the challenge than the females. Mm. I'm sure a good female will catch them also.
2: Well, and as far as training methods and how you went about teaching these birds how to do whatever you wanted them to do, how much of a deviation was there? How much of a difference was there between how you went about training each of these different species, or if there was any? The and the red nape, and the, the chamber race
0: anatom, the thursal that I'm flying, I basically train them, train them the same way. I use, uh, I trap house sparrows, common sparrow, They well, the English sparrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, since they're young, I mean, I I get, I get them out of the field, like, like tame hacking. You put it on top of the car, and I'll I'll walk there and I'll start throwing sparrows like madman, and <laughs> and the falcons they'll just start chasing everything they see. And eventually, they they start flying around you, and and I don't know, ten feet and twenty feet, and you you just throw them a hard one, then you throw them an easy one, and, and like that. When and and we were able to to get a lot of sparrows here from some of the local stores where they sell the uh, animal food, you know, for for chickens and porks and everything. They have problems with sparrows, so they love when we go there and put the nets, and yeah, we get a lot of sparrows. So I, I, I start like that, then I switch usually to pigeons, hard pigeons. They'll chase them, or or, or Asian dopes, you know, the color dopes, which it's hard because they're usually, they don't fly much, but you need to keep them in a really large cage so they'll be fit. And I use those for baggies also at the starting time. And as soon as the falcon has, I don't know, 30 feet of height or 30 meter of height sorry uh, I'll start flushing game for them like whatever the sparrows blackbirds whatever those are the field and, and they'll start chasing like try to do it more naturally like like the way they are when they're growing up and eventually they'll start going up and eventually we get the migration here and and we get all the birds and we stop flushing them and they start to connect. They usually connect the young birds. They catch some larks, some horn larks, which are super tough birds to catch with a falcon. But uh, they'll catch those. They catch uh, blackbirds and middle larks, stuff like that. that they flush uh, morning doves. Also, they sometimes you found them. Not here. There are some, but not in in uh, very flyable fields because it's as you seen. There's a lot of water everywhere. So the places out there are they're eating on the cornfields and it's you gotta wait a lot on the season so that they cut the cornfields and you can flush them decently.
2: Yeah, and as far as like time frame, just out of curiosity also, like with these different species, have you experienced it being roughly the roughly the same time frame as far as training, begin initial training and then ready to hunt?
0: they they usually be ready in thirty days. That I more or less some some earlier some some 40 or, or 45 days but if you you, you gotta keep you, you you gotta keep flying them every day. Mm-hmm. if you're not willing to do that sacrifice of course they're not gonna develop into good falcons. I mean unless you have like a tame cackle where you can let them go and and, and, and let the falcon develop mm-hmm. I, I think you gotta do the effort at least at the beginning like taking them out every day and and be consistent Other, otherwise the falcons i don't think they'll,
2: they'll perform good and when you take them out i'm assuming you're taking them out pretty much the same times each day and all that kind of stuff just to keep consistency and-
0: yes every every day early in the morning i'll be there and sun, sun uh, sunrise probably i don't know 7 six thirty, and set the falcon loose and, and start doing the flights for one hour two hours as long as, as uh, when the Falcon performs good and he's able to catch something, I'll feed him up and I'll take him back to to the car and here we go. But, um, uh, of course, if you have two birds that, are, that could fly together and they're tame, it's also helpful because they chase each other and, you know, they start playing games and they get stronger and stronger. And yeah, I think, it, I think it makes it easier. I did that with the Barbary because we had the other four brothers. So they fall together and they will chase each other all around the field, which was excellent for getting feed. Uh The other thing is here we get wild peregrines wild and they will start chasing mine birds and, and they chase each <laughs> other. They like playing like all all over the sky. And, and it, I think it's good unless they they don't become that aggressive or anything. So they just it's like another brother that they found out there. <laughs>
2: Well, that's funny yeah no i mean it's it's good information i'm like i said, i'm always curious to find how guys are doing you know their personal you know if they're willing to share that is you know their personal experience uh, and how yeah they homie homing
0: pigeons they work after the, you when you get the falcon feet and it's going up i use the homing pigeons when when it's out of position because they usually chase them you know but never the can catch them uh, yeah. it, well, sometimes they catch them because they intimidate them hmm. and but they're, they they're very helpful. They'll they'll chase a pigeon out of the sky and then come back, and you can serve them something a little bit easier. It's always good. But uh, as soon as I can uh, start hunting, I I don't ne- I never use baggies again. As soon as they start hunting, they're I mean, unless it's it was been a great day and nothing came out or whatever. Okay, then I'll throw a pigeon. Oh, but otherwise, I'll use the lure and I'll just fly the falcon back to lure because i think otherwise they forget about the lures and then you have a bird that is going away two kilometers away and it will never come back and these guys they see the lure and they
2: come back immediately which is always a safe one like i said i i have very limited experience with long wings so i'm always intrigued to see if there's different ways that you know ways you can make it work in different areas that you normally wouldn't be able to think you can make it work and and just seeing how different people go about their training methods is always interesting to me.
0: Passage birds are all the story. I mean, passage birds you just gotta tame it down, let it fly, and you flush something. Ready to go. <laughs> they'll go after it. Yeah. You don't need to do anything genius or anything. Just yeah. make them come back to lure or whatever, and, and they'll they'll manage. They're they're pretty smart. And they've been they've been in the wild by their own so much so long so. They appreciate the help.
2: Yeah. Well, and with passage birds too, it's, it's helpful to go ahead and, and get them out as soon as you can anyway, so they don't lose their natural yeah. fitness and, and everything also, I'm sure.
0: But yeah, the female the passage that I'm flying, uh, I think she took the, her first quarry, was a, a teal. The day 35 after trapped. So it was pretty fast. She was flying free on 20 days. He became tame really, really, really fast, and and was was really cooperating and and, and helpful.
2: Well, awesome. Well, and as far as just in general, I guess this would be a good time to talk about how, for whatever reason, the the falconry bug bit you, and you know what got you into all this in the first place, and um, you know just go from there, I guess.
0: Well, i i I went, I I got involved into falconry when I was. The little kid, I always loved animals. I was fascinated about animals and hunting, and my dad had a bunch of friends that were like African hunters, you know, and they have all these wild game uh, on their houses, and and I just loved that kind of stuff, and, and and loved animals. So I went with my brother once to this local market in Mexico City. Mexico City, as you've seen, is crowded and it's a crazy city, huge. <laughs> And they had this local market where they used to sell wildlife. I mean, parrots and and anything you wanted, like a, a baby coyote or you name it. It was uh, wildlife traffic at the most. So I went there with my brother. He wanted to get a parrot, a uh, baby parrot or something. And I was like nine years old. And there's this guy at uh, the market with a kestrel in his hand. And I said, like, what? Forget about the parrot. Let's get the Kestrel. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 I want the parrot. So then I, back back in those days, uh, there were no phones. So I I went to a phone, to the local phone at the market and called my parents. Can I get the Falcon, please? And of course, I didn't have any money or anything. <laughs> and they were like, no way. You're forgetting no Falcon for you. Just come back home and that's it. So we came. we came back home and... And I was so intense for one week about that damn falcon that my mother said, Here, here's the money, go buy the falcon. <laughs> so I went back to the market a week ago and luckily the guy had, still had the kestrel and I bought the kestrel. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I was fascinated and he was like, it was cooked. So I started looking for information, but back then there were no, I mean, this was early 80s. There was no internet. There was no nothing. So I started searching. My dad had a, a huge collection of uh, National Geographic magazine. And I started re- looking through each one of them for years. I don't know, a 30-year collection. And I found the Crayhead articles and and few others about falconry. So then I, got, I got a little clue about what was I doing. But there were no books. Mexico was a closed economy, so there weren't much of things imported here it was it was complicated getting information so i managed to get that kestrel to jump to the feast i don't know how but i managed to, to get it i was actually feeding him terrible food because the guy in the market told me you should feed the falcon uh, beef uh, heart only beef heart i was like why will they be eating beef heart but anyways i i stick to the plan and ask my mother I need to get a beef card every week. <laughs> beef card, of course, will, will feed the kestrel for two months. It's huge. But anyway, <laughs> I kept that kestrel for years, uh, not for years, for one season, probably, uh, I was able to fly to the fees, you know, like super slow and a cat got it. That was the end of the kestrel. So I went back to the market and I, <laughs> and I wanted another bird. This time, I, I think I was 9 years old or 10, and I got a Harris Hawk, a young Harris Hawk. And, and I was lucky enough back then to see a guy that was my neighbor. He was flying a Harris Hawk around my house. And I used to live in Mexico City. And he was flying. There was like like open terrain next to my house. He was flying the Harris Hawk to the feast. So I decided to, I was like looking at him and say, wow. And he started teaching me a bit, and and he was a member of the NAFA. His name is Eduardo Rivera, and he was like I don't know ten years older than me. And he said, hey, no, no, here I have some books that I bought in the states, and you can read them. So I went through all his library that he had. He was kind enough to show me, and he has he had hoods experience, and he experienced trapping perguins and everything. So he taught me how to trap. a kestrels with balsa trees and stuff like that, and I learned a lot. And I got into Nafa. Once I got into Nafa, I was like, whew And start started making contact with other people by letters. Back then was was letters, so so it was fun. Then then with the the Harris Hawk, I trained the Harris Hawk, and this area that I live in, Lomas, there there were, there were a lot of uh, uh open terrains. I were like. Wooded areas and they had a lot of rats, like city rats. That was the main prey for the Harris hawk. So I killed hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of rats, which I kept in the in the fridge of my mother. She never knew that. Now she knows. She does. <laughs> disgusting, disgusting sewer so rats. But I caught so many. But I was proud as if I was catching <laughs> snipe right now. Back in the days, it was amazing catching catching rats with the Harris hawk.
2: I can only imagine if she would have known that those were actually there, what she would have probably done to you. <laughs> no, uh,
0: she would kill me. I mean, it was insane <laughs> keeping them in the fridge.
2: But uh, we caught
0: so many rats with those harris. So, so they one of my my cousins. He got another harris hog, so we will fly the harris hogs with rats and, and we we grew up with the harris hogs when back in the days for I don't know for until I was like fifteen or, or sixteen. Then I, then I started flying. Uh, a roadside hawk, which is a tiny red-tail that I, I was telling you the other day. It's a small hawk, the tropical areas. Um, they're pretty fun. You know, I flew I flew it out of the deep ridge, and they would chase birds and catch everything from uh, rattlesnakes to birds, frogs, uh, scorpions, whatever was running out there. <laughs> yeah, they, they would only chase it for, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes, and he was done. And then, then I moved to flying. Of course, by by then I uh, I was already learning a lot, and I had a books, and and I was in touch with Alex Franco, my friend, who was also involved in in flying falcons and and everything. He, he he was flying Cooper's hawks back then. And then we went trapping uh, for aplomados, and we caught a uh, a couple of them at the beach in Veracruz, at the Gulf of Mexico. And I started flying Aplomatos back then, when Harry McElroy was living in Mexico, back then in Querétaro. And we had some advice of, of, from Harry, of course. And uh, we started flying the Aplomatos, and uh, they were super successful. We we'll, will flow them at, at Quail, which of course we have to drive a lot, because in Mexico City area there's nothing like Quail. You, you gotta drive at least two hours to the next place. And we we flew those birds for I don't know around three seasons or four seasons, until I lost it again. Transmitters back then were, I think I was using the first transmitters were the LL Electronics, uh, the ones that you stick the battery and mm-hmm. you put a rubber band on it, and and they they were okay they they were helpful but it, I mean it wasn't the safest the safest bed ever but it, yeah. they worked and. I lost the aplomato with the transmitter. I never I never saw her again. She she took a bird and up in the tree, she will feed on the bird. She will usually come down. That day I went went to the car, I don't know, pick up something. And when I came back to the tree she, she disappeared. Never found her, not a single beep, anything.
2: Mm, battery must have fell out or something, you know, who knows? Yeah. Aplomatoes are fun also. Yeah, I mean they're on they're on a list of birds that I'd like to fly eventually. But you know, where I'm at with, with Aplomados and any other smaller, expensive bird, the main worry is that they're always going to end up being coop food. You know, and, uh, you know, I just... Yeah, I can, it's easy. There yeah.
0: are, from Aplomados, we, we start trapping peregrines at the beach, uh, which is also a lot of fun trapping birds. And I flew a couple of tundras. Uh, I don't know, they didn't last a month. They will usually fly away without transmitters. I didn't even use a transmitter, but, but they were fun. I mean, I, and I was start I was starting to catch little birds with them and I had a Tearsal Tundra, which was really good and then I lost him chasing morning doves and never came back. But, um, those were fun. Until then I get up, got the Prairie Falcon, which I flew for four or five years. And then the Barbaries, and well, uh, well I was flying the fire buddies, I flew, like two or three anatom to passage pairs, I think two,
2: so overall, in your experience you it sounds like you definitely are more of a long wing guy, prefer long wings and and a hundred percent, yeah, yeah, and what's the reason for that? Just flight style or just uh i it's personality for
0: me for me it's more complicated and well, well, you know when everything is so complicated, <laughs> and you get it right, it's uh-huh. it's really satisfying and and it's amazing. I like the fa- I like falcons better. I mean, one of those trips to the local market, I I bought a micraster, semi torquatus. You know those jungle falcons, the crazy, like a prehistoric bird, and she she was a an imprint and she was. So such a dangerous bird. I mean, she would chase me and grab me by the back and <laughs> they're so strong. I mean, for the size of these birds, they're they're like super strong, like strong as a red tail a female. And it was it was a terrible experience, but it well, it was interesting <laughs> at the end. I think she got sick because I she ate a, a coot and, and she didn't make it. But um, I I tried, uh, I think I, t- I tried one passage, Cooper's Hawk. I caught a few birds, uh, another one that was a a baby from a nest, but, but I didn't, I, I, I wasn't really good at it. And I think I liked better the falcons, so I focused more on long wings. And I've, I, I was able to meet a few guys from the States and from Colorado, basically the Colorado Hawking Club, Ken Mesh that passed away and, Chris Kurt and Donny Head, those guys, they invite us over to hunt sage grouse at Wyoming and Colorado, and gave us a lot of big idea of the what you could do with falcons, was was amazing. So I I love I love flying uh, and hunting falcons, not just flying them to pigeons, which a lot of people in Mexico they they only fly them to pigeons, they for sport or whatever. I don't know. But for me, it was the hunting. I, I I've been a hunter all my
2: life, and I needed to to catch game. The real the real falconer. Yeah, no, it makes sense, and, and I'm assuming throughout your your years, and part of the reason why you've been able to be so successful with long wings, especially, and and like you said, cons- consistency especially is is key with them. And I mean honestly with most birds of prey I mean really I mean the yeah. more consistent you are the better but I mean what have you what have you done for for a living and and you know what, what what how have you been able to to achieve the consistency that you have had all these years with with work and everything
0: I I grew up in Mexico City mm-hmm. and um uh, I went to college for law school and I started working as a lawyer and I have my own law firm I was well, uh, I mean, I, I did okay, and uh, as soon as I, c- I got married, I moved out of Mexico City and came here all the way to Toluca, which is, I don't know, 40, 40 to an hour drive, where you can find open fields and, and, and you can fly the Falcons better. And uh, at the beginning, it was hard, I mean, I, I will wake up at night every day and, and be there at sunrise and fly the Falcon, get the Falcon back and speed back to the, to my house, take a shower and be at the law firm and then work all day, come <laughs> back at night, sleep the same thing, you know, day by day. And uh, I will try to be as, as consistent as I could, of course, <laughs> uh, which was very complicated. And uh, after I lived here at Toluca for 11 years first, then I had a problem with a security problem. Um, my wife back then was kidnapped. Yeah, it was wow. nasty. Ugh. And and uh, after that incident, we moved to San Diego, California. Two weeks later, and I we stayed there for eight years. That's heavy. And she stayed there for eight years, basically. I got a divorce, and uh, and I moved back two years ago here in the meanwhile i was coming back and forth which was a mess and i couldn't practice falconry those eight years i i I had to quit which was pretty difficult for me and it was i was not happy at all (laughs) Uh,
2: well that's that's insane though i mean i can understand having to you know hang up the hang up the back the game bag in the in the boots for a little while to especially it. when you're like me and you're so intense and you try to do it every day as the most as
0: you can and California was was Southern California is for flying falcons, they don't have these open fields and everything is private, you need a lot of permissions or it's too crowded and, and, and difficult I mean, you could fly Cooper's work or something, but for me it was complicated because I had to go back and forth for work, there was no way I could keep a falcon up there and go be gone for 2 weeks and then come back 2 weeks and it will be terrible falconry. You cannot practice falconry like that. Falconry you got to be consistent otherwise
2: it's terrible you you want to enjoy it. Yeah and and I've you know the last couple of years especially with with my schedule and and um you know having to work out of town a lot with with uh different contract work and and things like that I I wholeheartedly agree. Anytime you have to make extra provisions around just the basic aspects of your schedule and falconry, and it stops being fun and it starts being stressful and it's not supposed to be stressful no, it's no, supposed no. to be fun so yeah i mean if if you can't do it to whatever degree that you think that you can do it consistently and competently, sometimes it's just better to not do it at all yeah i I,
0: I didn't do it, and I just flew back to Aguascalientes with Martin he invited me over a couple of, two or three times a year. And we'll stay there at his house and we'll catch dogs and had a great time. Well, you've been there. It's always fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that that was my, like my medicine for falconry for all your, your <laughs> For the eight years that I was away. Yeah. And uh, until I, I mean, everything changed and I decided to come back here and stay here and now i'm
2: i'm doing it all the way back
0: <laughs> intense as you could see
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's great though i'm glad that you're able to to finally get a chance to start doing it again consistently and uh and scratch the itch so to speak that's great yeah we're doing it good uh, last last season i
0: started with a with a female peregrine that you you saw today and the other day and uh this season with 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 the Cheers for Peregrine Bernacio, which is doing great.
2: Perfect. Well, I guess this would be a good time to do like we usually do and transition to the whole, you know, the aspect of what some of your favorite memories are, and all these years that you've been doing this, and you know, what are some of your your most memorable hunting hunting experiences, or not just hunting experiences, but Either memories with particular birds, or you know things like that, and you know share a few of them with us. Yeah, sure. Um uh, With Piggy, uh,
0: she was she was a, a really keen falconer for the snipes. One day we were hunting on these wetlands, uh, kind of like the place that we took you today, and she was I don't know a hundred meters up there, right on top of us back then I used a springer spaniel. I wasn't using a Brittany. It was it was a springer. And she was really really good. She would find any bird that was in the field. She flushed a snipe. Biggie came down. And it was it was a hard flight and I think I th- I I th- I thought she didn't hit the snipe like next to a tree and she came back because usually when she hits something she will turn around and land there and grab it. But she came back so i thought oh, she missed and it was you know with all the ditches and everything it was it was quite a walk to get there so i said let's find another bird so she came back and we walk i don't know 10 10 to 20 feet and another snipe flushes she comes back grabs the snipe and comes down so perfect let's feed the falcon <laughs> so i end up feeding the falcon and let's go to the car so on the way back on the car, there's this tree on the way out. And I say, well, I'm just, just going to be curious. I'm going to walk to the tree and see what what really happened. And as soon as I get to the tree, I see the snipe dead next to the tree. She <laughs> caught two and one um, on that day. It was, it was a really fun one, which is not easy. I mean, it's, well, one's not easy. No. Snipes, no. Let alone two. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that's crazy. So, I mean, do, I mean... So as far as your favorite bird, it sounds like that she was by far and away probably your favorite she bird. W- she was because I, I flew her for 18 years, so I
0: had all the experience that you could think of it with that falcon. She was she was really, really good. The first year was a pain in the butt <laughs> because, if you know, barbaries, they have the tendency to range way migrate yeah. and explore terrain like crazy. This bird, I was flying her here in the mountains and one day we couldn't flush any anything for her for a while so she she she'll get upset and start moving and she moved into the city and in Mm -hmm. back then in the city the transmitter didn't work it was the other electronics and i couldn't make them work we couldn't get sign, all this interference was terrible so i said that's it that's the end of it first season and she had a a, you know those tags on the leg Mm -hmm. with my phone number and reward and that night, a guy calls me at night. Hey, I have your bird here. And I said, where? where Where? Where are you? <laughs> he said, first, how much you're going to pay me? <laughs> and I said, back back, back in those days, I mean, I said like 5,000 pesos would be like $1,000 right now. Because I wanted to make sure to get the falcon back. And he said, perfect. This is my address. Come find it. And I said, just curious, where do you cut the falcon? And he told me at La Villa de Guadalupe, which is a, it's a religious church, uh, like, like this main church for Catholics in the middle of the city. <laughs> and there's a bunch of pigeons uh, back uh, there. She caught a pigeon in the middle of the plaza and this guy saw it and she started eating the pigeon. He came with a box of cardboard and put it on her and took her home and when she took <laughs> it out she was already fed with a pigeon <laughs> and she was just landing there and she, and he saw the the tag and called me I mean I was so lucky to get that bird back wow that's it's incredible but I don't miss that that part is <laughs> i she, 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 she had a few ones like that and it, it wasn't it wasn't fun chasing barbaries around the countries and isn't really fun I mean they could travel a hundred miles in an hour and it's, it's, you don't want to do that now in Mexico, especially.
2: <laughs> no. You don't know where you can land. Well, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that where I live, let, let alone where, yeah, I, that's nuts. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, even with GPS, sometimes the range is just too far. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as far as, um, you know, like any other kind of is is there any other like other really memorable story that that pops in your head with either that bird or, or another one? Uh, well, I'll,
0: I have a recent one with Benancio
2: which was really really nice flight.
0: Um, we were flying when when the water was higher and we flushed one keel there, came down and knocked it out, landed in the middle of the pond. So I went in and grabbed the bird, was dead, hit him in the head. Put him inside the the best, and we kept walking. And I said, well, probably that's going to be it. I mean, they're pretty tough to, to catch. I don't know. Ten minutes later, we flush another one, and he was way, way high. I don't know, 150 meters. He comes down and knocks the bird, killing it, and again, hitting him in the head, the second one. And I was like, wow. like, <laughs> like ecstasy. It was crazy. I mean... <laughs> Two birds in one in in one hunt—it's super difficult for these guys. Those are tough ones.
2: <laughs> well, and as far as um, I mean, do you think that the headshot success like that was attributed to kind of like you were describing at the beginning of our conversation, where you know you toss some small yeah, birds. Yeah, I, and- I think little birds. they they gave them a lot of aim. This guy has a good
0: aim and and probably they they they're very helpful for their food job yeah. I think little birds is it's what they do in the wild they chase little birds all over the sky all, all day long mm-hmm. so i think I think it was very helpful and 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 he's been doing it really consistently so as you as you saw today uh he killed one snipe when that stoop and was really good one, which is not easy. You saw the other chisel, and he missed. I don't know five or six snipes, and he wasn't even close. Of course, yeah, it's yeah. they're tough.
2: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's a, a different type of um, upper tier falconry, from what I can you know tell. I mean it's it's not exactly sage grouse hawking or something like that, but I mean as far as difficulty goes, I can tell just by you know my yeah. lim- like, even with my limited experience, I can tell that. That's very hard, Hawking. I mean, yeah, you don't need the Falcon to be like way lost
0: in the sky. I mean, that's useless. Yeah, you won't catch any. Right, but uh, you need it to be a I don't know eighty to a hundred and fifty. That that's I think that's perfect. Yeah. From a hundred meters, you'll catch anything that's fast enough for any if you flush them at the right time, of course. Sure, but. Uh,
2: it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different. It's
0: different kind of falconry. I mean, I enjoy catching ducks with the other peregrine, which is always fun. But uh, catching snipes
2: is other, another thing. Yeah, yeah, no, and and everybody, well, and everybody's thing is their thing. You know, not everybody has the same view of uh, what their ultimate form of falconry is and and whatnot. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm very uh, appreciative that you know you guys were able to you know take me and, and show me this stuff this week. And, you know, i I've been very happy to be able to experience something new that I haven't gotten a chance to yet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate it and I want to go ahead and end on the same note that I have been ending on with a lot of different Falconers, especially ones that are, that have been doing it for as long as, as you have and what particular piece of advice or sentiment or, um, follow your passion, don't stop at it otherwise life sucks (laughs) you don't want
0: to you don't want to stand there i mean life is short and and time goes by pretty fast so follow your passion if your passion is falconry do it
2: do it good go into it deep get in the mud (laughs) (laughs) that's great and you know for those of us that or for those of the the people that, that work the, uh, the nine to five grind and, and everything else, I mean, is there any particular things that you want to, I don't know if, it, if for any of the people, in other words, that might have a little bit more trouble achieving that day to day consistency. I mean, is there any other piece of advice that you would have for, for them in particular as well?
0: buy a shotgun and then go hunting
2: <laughs> with a shotgun because with the falcons
0: it's going to be tough. Yeah. We'll switch jobs, I mean. Yes. Yeah. It, it all depends. I mean, people manage and and sometimes I I've read books, so you know, the the bird in the hand these guys from the British falcon clubs. Mm-hmm. This guy was I I remember one guy that was a lawyer and, and he will hunt for a month. He will won't do anything. He flew the falcons for a month and catch Uh, sage crowds and then came back work 11 months yeah or just for one month i'd rather do it the other way around try to fly them every day and catch game and and do as less as possible that i can
2: (laughs) well what i mean out of curiosity then though what if you would have found that being a lawyer or your career would have you know interfered too much and you wouldn't have been able to work around that would you have just switched careers then i probably would because, <laughs> no, not really, because
0: you, you go miserable and you hate your life. I, I experienced that for eight years, living in California, in, in Southern California, which is considered a paradise for most of the people around the world.
2: <laughs> and I was miserable. Yeah. Well, yeah. And if, you, if you're not getting the chance to do the things that you really enjoy, it doesn't really matter No matter what you're doing. If you're living in Southern California or Hawaii or, you know, or, uh, it's a golden jail. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You, you got to do what you like. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, it's a good point. And I know that, um, you know, sometimes people can't hear that enough. I mean, I, there's times where I wish that, you know, I would have gotten into something different myself. But, um, luckily, at least my career, if nothing else, is me at least a little bit more flexibility, you know, during the week and the schedule stuff. Yeah, you'll, stuff, you'll you know, find a way. Yeah, I mean, if, if where there is a will, there is a way, for sure. You'll find a way. They always do. People yeah. will get other jobs, other,
0: other sort of income, and, and practice the sport. Yeah.
2: No, I agree. Like I said, if you want to do something bad enough and, and the will is there, then most people will find a way to yeah. persevere, for sure. Yeah, besides, it's not easy,
0: falconry. I mean, you... You know it, you you gotta really, really push for it.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean hunting with certain species of hawks and hunting with, with peregrines and long wings and stuff are two completely different animals. There's no question about that. So well, it's been a great talk. I really appreciate it. Thank you for you know Having me come over and and do this with you and show me some snipe hawking and um, oh my pleasure yeah it's no, been fun yeah it has been fun I'm I'm very happy to have met you and gotten a chance to to talk and get to to know you better as well as these other guys and uh, yeah I guess uh, I don't know sounds like it's time to have another uh, to, another think, beer and a little bit more tequila yeah and paella we're gonna have a nice paella now yeah yeah <laughs> perfect all right well sounds good and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.